Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and we had a lovely day at the zoo on Tuesday. Uh, So, it's weird. I, I don't necessarily think of the zoo a whole lot, but what I happen to be off work. It was election day, so my son was out of school. Well, okay, I say I was off work. We actually had a meeting scheduled uh, for Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. to go from 8 a.m. to noon. Now, I'm working nights right now, which means I work 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. I worked all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. So I got off 5 o'clock Monday morning, and... This meeting was scheduled for 8 a.m. Tuesday morning, and then I go back to work 5 p.m. Wednesday. So I have this four-hour daytime interruption of my nighttime sleep schedule. Now, fortunately, this was not a mandatory meeting, but you know you know how your job is. If there's something on the schedule that's not mandatory, but you don't show up, you're never really sure like how that's looked at, but between being on nights and my son being out of school on a Tuesday, I, I, I wasn't going. I didn't go. So instead, we went to the zoo, and I'm very happy with that decision because the Atlanta Zoo, uh, pretty great. I haven't been there in I don't know how many years. I, I think the last time we took my son was... I mean, he maybe he was four or five, so it's been five, six, seven years, something like that, since uh, I've been to the zoo. They've they've been uh, the missus and and Phantom Junior have been since then, but it's pretty nice, and they're working on this giant new area uh, that I think it was the Serengeti, uh, something like that. Looked massive, but everything that was there, very well laid out just we we had a great time all the animals were out doing stuff we got to see orangutans like climbing the ropes all over the place and 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 playing with each other and there were a bunch of lions snuggling on top of a rock and one of them yawned and you know when you're at a zoo we've all had that zoo experience where the animals just well they're either not out at all or they're not doing anything, or you only see one, or, you know, everybody has had the not exciting zoo experience. So, even the littlest thing, like the uh, uh, the, the red panda picking its toes, or getting to pet a goat, that's all, that's all very exciting. And we got all this cool animal stuff all in one day. It was just a fantastic time, and I made the right decision in in not going to the day job. And and then uh, today went in, or I guess technically last night went in. It is now six fifty two Thursday morning. Uh, I worked last night. Had a really busy night, uh, by the way. Managed to get the Blu ray post for next week done which I wasn't sure I was going to get any writing done. Uh, But I managed to get that done. My hope was, because I've got 
uh, two posts ready for next week. So I'm kind of good to go because I'm not worried about doing five posts a week on NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. You know, as was the case up until about a year or so ago. Uh, but I, I have been enjoying writing again. I'm finding new formats to do uh, old things. I, I just, I'm enjoying it more, especially, and again, WordPress uh, is fantastic. It's made everything easier. Uh, it's it's lighter. It's easier to deal with. I just dig it. And, and I don't know what lighter means in the con- uh, context of a website, but it is. But anyway, my plan had been to go into work last night and tonight and to read as much of the new Beastie Boys book as I can. Uh, It's called Beastie Boys Book, and it's a little pricey, but man, is it worth it. It's gigantic. It's, It's thick, like two phone books thick, and it's all reminiscences. It's mostly Mike D and Ad Rock. Uh, but there's there's already been a footnote from Kate Schellenbach. Uh, from what I understand, there's some other contributors in there. But it it begins in late '70s New York with Ad Rock, Mike D, and MCA as young, like punk rock, post punk wannabe kids, and it's just amazing. It's it's just a, a recollection of their entire lives and careers together. And I've just gotten to the point where they're almost becoming the rap beastie boys that we're familiar with. I've I've just if for those that know their career, I have just gotten to Cookie Puss. So there you go. And and I'm I'm a good ways into it, although I'm not far into it at all. But like, because the book is gigantic. But anyway, my hope was to spend two nights reading that book because I've already got an, an, enough posts that I'm comfortable with for next week. But it didn't work. Book reading time didn't work out. But I was able to go in and write Tuesday's uh, post in in between things going on. And I do want to thank you guys for actually for those of you that did vote uh, on the poll in the Needless Things podcast Facebook page, uh, or group page, rather, uh, about whether I should continue the Horror at Home column that I did all October, which was about the horror Blu-rays that were coming out every Tuesday in October. And I am. I'm continuing it. It's not going to be just horror. It's going to be any genre or anything interesting to me. Uh, For example, the first three Rambo movies are coming out on 4K slash Blu-ray uh, I, I would call it budget. It's they're fifteen bucks a piece, and you get the four K and the Blu Ray disc. I think that's pretty good. Uh, from Lionsgate, those are coming out Tuesday. I wrote about those because how can you not write about Rambo? It's not really genre, although I, it could be argued that it 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 brushes up against fantasy. But uh, but anyway, that column's coming out on Tuesday. It's all done. It's in the can, and uh, but but a busy night at work. I'm tired. I'm ready to go to bed. But I want to talk a little bit about the Atlanta Zoo and how great it is and how if you haven't been and you're in the Atlanta area, you should go. I don't know what my feelings are about zoos anymore. I know there was a time when we were supposed to feel bad for the animals that are in the zoos. And I understand that because they're confined. But at the same time, I feel like they're well taken care of. You know, maybe that wasn't so much the case back in the 70s and 80s, but now all these animal groups and, like, people, like, watchdog groups and, and making sure 
that the standards are what they have to be. Uh, like I feel like the the flea bitten sad animals of the past aren't really a thing anymore, or especially not in a city like Atlanta. So the that feeling bad for the animals isn't really around because other you know what when you've got something like lions and tigers, which by the way there there is a incredible majestic and terrifying tiger in the Atlanta Zoo that we got quite close to a couple of times because of the way they've got the uh, the enclosures set up. Most of them have multiple sides, multiple angles from which to see these these animals. And uh, the tiger enclosure in particular is very large. And, and we, a couple of times, were right next to this tiger. And even though there's 30-foot-tall steel faux bamboo or wire mesh or glass or whatever, it it is humbling to be that close to that kind of creature, a, a man-eater, that in other circumstances were you that close, you would be torn limb from limb, or, or at the very least disemboweled messily. Uh, and I never forget that stuff when looking at these animals, too. There are a couple of bears in there that seem playful and cuddly and cute and, and also would absolutely murder you in the wild. Uh, e- even some of the birds they've got there. Like we'll we'll give you a look, kind of like if these if this wire mesh wasn't here, they'd be sucking your eyeballs out of your face right now, buddy. Uh, but but obviously no eyeballs got sucked out of any faces. Uh, they've got a petting zoo there. I, I don't I have a th- I don't like sheep. I, I don't like the noises they make. I don't like their faces. I'm not a big fan of sheep. But we went in there and there were sheep and their goats, and I stuck to the goat side. And uh, one goat came up and was was really friendly and was like, "You need to pet me now. Look at me. I'm not I'm not a dirty, nasty goat. Look, I'm a clean petting. I'm a I'm a goat made for petting." Uh, and and so I ended up petting a goat, and we got these pictures. I got video of Phantom Junior brushing some goats, and this one goat came up and like stood next to him on this platform and like laid down, and and he sat down next to the goat and he's like snuggling this goat and the goat loves it. Uh, it was great. We had a great, great day at the zoo. So if you, whether you're in Atlanta or not, if you've got a local zoo, go check the zoo out. The zoo can be a lot of fun. We had a great time. Uh, and before I finish this intro, which by the way, today's episode is the 1988 panel recorded live at dragon con. Uh, can, it is one of the more eclectic, needless things groups i have put together uh, and and it's also one of the wilder panels we have had things get weird people uh, and 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 you'll know that because on this panel were dana swanson nicole gould john carr joe crow and myself having a very weird time talking about 1988 it was a lot of fun uh but it's it's I want everybody to do what I don't like too much of a format. I don't like too much of a, uh, um, you need to say this, this way. We're going to talk about this thing this way. I want everybody to approach things their own way because that's what I do here on the show. I don't have any 
prescribed approach to the way that I talk about things, we we address things the way that we feel about them and in the context that we we feel is appropriate. And that's what happened at this panel. Everybody kind of went off on their own crazy tangents, and we interacted and discussed in front of a live audience. Like I said, it got weird, you guys. Uh, but speaking of weird, I, I drive 25 miles across Metro Atlanta to get to work. And twice now, I have been stuck behind this odd cube SUV type vehicle plastered in Devo stickers. I did not know there were people... I, I know they're big fans of Devo. I did not know there were people that were this big fans of Devo. And I'm talking no less than like 12, 15 Devo stickers on the back. Little Devo hats on the license plate, which I don't think is even legal in Georgia. Uh, a sticker that says, Toil is Stupid, which sounds very if not Devo, very like subgenius, that same frame of mind. But I, it's incredible to me that in the many hours of traffic, the countless hundreds of cars, the different times that I go in, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. or vice versa, uh, that I would end up behind this same vehicle. And I'm pretty sure the other day it was on the way in, and uh, today it was on the way home. So that's just really strange. Uh, and it, it struck me as odd, and maybe it's not worth repeating, but it's too late because I already did it. Uh, final last thing, we're heading into the holidays, and that means shopping. And I've got a tip for you. If you shop on Amazon, don't tell your friends that work in brick-and-mortar retail stores that you're shopping on Amazon. But even more important than that, if you're going to shop on Amazon, remember you can go to smile.amazon.com. That's S-M-I-L-E dot Amazon.com and choose a charity that will receive uh, a portion of your purchase every time you shop on Amazon. Uh, and this time of year, that can really build up. Uh, I choose to support the Wounded Warrior Project. And, and remember, you, you can get really nitpicky about your charities. Uh, no charity is completely like not for well i guess completely not for profit but like the people who run the charities have to get paid maybe some of them are getting paid too much but at the same time i look at what the wounded warrior project does and it's very easy to look at their outreach and their results and determine you know well what is it worth to have somebody running that what is the salary for that kind of thing for that noble cause for taking care of these veterans that the government isn't taking care of. So, uh, you know, you've got to uh, you got to understand that there's shades of of uh gray in all of these kinds of things. So anyway, smile.amazon.com. If you're buying, buy from there. Choose your charity. They get a percentage of everything that you you spend. Uh so just go and do that. It's a thing you can do. And that's not any kind of like paid endorsement or because that doesn't happen on this show uh that's just something that i think about uh and that i participate in and i think everybody should so there you go that's what you got you got the zoo you got weird devo car and you got smiled on amazon.com and now you've got 1988 live from dragon con 2018 <laughs> Thank you. 
Hi, everybody. Hi. Are you guys ready to talk about 1988? Yeah. Right. Uh, I am Dave West. I'm the host of the Needless Things podcast. I run NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. And I also will be hosting the Big Damn Game Show tomorrow night at 10 p.m. In the Hyatt International South Ballroom. The thing you'll all be attending. You're all invited. You should all show up. Drop by. We'll have fun. Uh, today we're going to talk about 1988. Uh, we have a panel of wonderful people here that are going to delight you to no end, uh, except for an hour from now when it actually ends. Uh, on the far right, please give it up for Mr. John Carr. John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so um, let's see if this works. Uh, so yeah, my name is John Carr. Um, I'm an improviser at Dad's Garage Theater. Uh, I'm a playwright. I just had my first play produced called Black Nerd. Awesome. And uh, yeah, and then I just uh, act and have fun around town. Is that? Are you guys hearing that, Mike? Nope. No. Nope. Nope. Nothing. Right. Right. What well, can you just hear, John Carr? Okay. Well. He knows how to project. Oh. Oh. There it is. If you turn it on. How long have you been performing? Just that I started three weeks ago. And next to John, some of you may recognize this lovely individual. Uh, he has worked on our panels before anonymously. Uh, if you remember years ago, uh, he was the nameless judge I was, panelist. What was, I was the I, what's your I, gimmick? I, I had a sack on my head. He had, <laughs> had a sack on his head. Yep. And he sold it. Huge, big time. It was great. We loved it. Thank you. Uh, my name is Joe Crow. I'm the co-director of this little track right here. Thank you. I, I also I I I'm a comedian. I'm a pro wrestling ring announcer. I'm on this man's podcast and everybody else's podcast. And I do fun stuff. So there you go. Very good. Uh, to my immediate left, uh, welcome please, Miss Nicole Gould. Hi. Um I am the co-host of a very cool podcast called Caught Dead Watching with uh, Nathan Hamilton. If any of you guys are familiar with him, Son of Celluloid. Uh, we talk about all of the schlocky movies that you have probably never seen because they are terrible. Who, who here knows um, Barn of the Blood Llama? Yes. Yeah. Nobody. Well, yeah. you can get it from me for $10. Because I've entered into a weird distribution deal with the guy that made it, acted in it, wrote it, produced it, uh, distribute uh, everything else. He's my best friend now. Um, oh. That is a tale. Uh, yeah. uh, He's my best friend now. Best Stop. friend and everything. Stop the panel. Oh, yeah. We're uh, talking about that. Insurance had to be called. He's my best friend. So, yeah, but uh, check us out. We talk about horrible things. And finally, at the far end of the table, the lovely and talented Miss Dana Swanson. Uh, I actually know Dave from uh, talking about horrible things. <laughs> so, yeah, mostly. Yeah, I guess uh, so. I guess like our our trajectory is that we used. Uh, I used to be in a fake band called the Sexaplex, and Dave was a fan, and, uh, and we became friends through that. I mean, it was now we're best friends. Um, yeah, same <laughs> same story. Friends. Oddly enough. Uh, but no, I'm a, I'm a voice actor around town. Um, I uh, I make mouth sounds for Tsunami. You've heard of that? Have you heard of that? 
Um, and also Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Finbillings, uh, Final Deployment 4, Colin, Battle, Final, I don't know, it's a queen battle watcher. Um, but yeah, I do stuff, and I improvise at Dad's Garage with Mr. John Carr, who, um, he actually has fantastic microphone skills. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's my, 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 my. Don't, don't judge me from this one. No, no, he's, uh, and, and if you guys miss Blackner, you really miss out, so. Yep. Yeah. I, it was incredible. I, 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 you made me cry, which makes me question <laughs> why I brought you up here today. Oh, thank you for getting to plug. Uh, I'm also on a podcast called Dark Ages Podcast. I feel like podcasts are like it's podcast. awesome. We gotta like talk about this, but there's a I'm on a, um, a dramatic a workplace comedy dramatic podcast called Dark Ages, and if you are a member of Dragon Con and you like fantasy, but also um, assholes who you work with, um, then yeah. you're gonna like that. All right, now that you know everybody, uh, what we do here is we each sort of discuss one of our favorite things from 1988. Uh, we will come out to you guys as well, so I hope uh, you looked at your Googles before you came to the panel, so you're ready to talk about something specifically from that year, which is really difficult. Isn't that right, Dana? Yeah, I mean, like, it's, you know what's really easy is looking things up. <laughs> yeah, it's super easy. yeah I'm, I'm pretty good at Google Fiddles. I've got, I've got a whole bunch of things to talk about that I didn't have to talk about two minutes before this <laughs> Last night on Instagram, Dana puts a little post up. We ran in, we were partying, we were hanging out at the Hilton. She takes a picture. Later on, I see the picture she's put up. She says, Ha ha, it's Phantom Troublemaker. I'm doing a panel with him tomorrow that I haven't prepared for. It's like, Oh! Well, that's okay. No, we're good to go now. All right, uh, I would like to start with probably the least prepared person up here. Joe Crow, do you have a 1988 loaded up and ready to go? I do. Handwritten on this very oh, paper. Man, fresh. Five minutes before the panel started. Hot out of the oven. Well, uh, ability to correct that. I was. Uh, it wasn't five minutes before the panel started. I was actually still writing it while you were talking. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's multitasking. This that's is good. this is way more prepared than I usually am this entire weekend. Nice. So uh, she laughs because she knows. <laughs> You've been to panels before. Uh, so, 1988 was the year I graduated high school. So, it a lot of stuff was going on that year. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Uh, pop culturally, though, it was the year where a song that has stuck in my brain ever since came out. And that song is called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Oh, oh, Lord. Lord. <laughs> wow. Okay, here we go. Look, 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 look. Don't you tell me when to be happy. Don't you tell me not to worry. I'll be happy when I'm happy. <laughs> do you do you feel like the world fell in love with Bobby McFerrin for about three minutes and then we're done with him? Is that kind of how everybody remembers that going down? I, I mean, I have a follow-up, actually. I have oh. a, a 10 years later. So, obviously, this is, we're talking 1988. I have a 1998 Bobby McFerrin story. We'll, we'll take it. We'll accept because it. Because coming from, wow, we fell in love with him, and then where did he go? So, here's where he went. Okay. Um, so, I was taking voice lessons um, from a somebody who was doing voice and piano with me, and she was trying to teach me how to sing really beautiful musical theater songs, of which I was somewhat interested in, but also I was like, but can't I sing like Beyond? Like, I just 
really wanted to go crazy. Um, but she was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a little secret. And that secret was uh, the humor of scatting. Like, apparently there's scat humor that people do. And we're talking actually like jazz, scat musician humor. And so she put on this, she put on this Bobby McFerrin track, and she's like, you won't believe it. And she was, like, sitting on her hands, like, so excited. Like, her teeth were falling out of her braces. Like, she was just, just she just could not help it. She was like, here it comes, here it comes. And you just go, like, and she was like, She thought it was so funny. So, so Bob McFerrin went from being like household name to like he went back into the shadows and instead was just like uh, humor for for people that liked jazz. <laughs> so he used his very very specific stand up. So that's where I mean if that answers a question at least at the yes. ten year mark. I think it, I, yeah it fills everything in really I think we I think we're done here. Yeah yeah, yeah. thank you thank you. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and bring up the next one just because I have this thing here that I'd like to put back in my bag and be done with it uh, I'm a huge comic book fan, I've been reading comic books for 30 plus years now uh, I've talked about in this very room before how G.I. Joe uh, Larry Hama's comic back in the 80s is one of the ones that got me into comics but this one right here uh, got me hooked to where I had to track down the next issue and the next issue and the next issue and that's if you can't see it it's Uncanny X-Men number 234 Uh, Chris Claremont wrote it Mark Silvestri who you may have heard of did the art and it changed everything in my brain because uh, you know, even at that point, I was 12 years old. I'd read some Batman comics here and there. I'd, I'd, like I said, I was reading G.I. Joe at the time, but it was more of a, when we're at Kroger, we'll grab one or whatever. But I got this while we were vacationing with, uh, up in North Carolina with my grandparents, and I had to know what happened next. This character, this Wolverine guy that immediately was a badass. Like, I didn't know anything about him at the time. I picked this comic up fresh, never read anything about the X-Men. Wolverine's infected with this alien species he's turning into an alien and this reverend is like healing him and casting the alien that he thinks is a demon out and then these people in australia are traveling through portals that a little man is sending him what is happening <laughs> like i didn't it's it's very interesting to think back to discovering things when i was a kid when i had so much less context than i have now uh you know, now there's very little that can happen in a movie or in a comic book or whatever that can really surprise me. Uh, you know, I can be excited with where stories go, but I, I know the beats of horror movies. I know the beats of science fiction movies. But back then, discovering this new storytelling was so exciting. And just finding these characters and the situation that they were in, uh, it, I mean, it changed everything. It changed everything for me. Any, any of you guys... Uh, follow uncanny x-men like from from back then was it a a big hook for you guys i think for me it was um i don't know that i was back then but like as i discovered the uncanny x-men i think the thing that like struck me was i had been reading comic books up to that point but it was the idea of the ensemble it's that idea of balancing so many different characters and finding unique ways of like working with him and that that was the first time that I was like oh it doesn't have to be good guy bad guy problem it's solved like there's so many different ways and that was the first time I'd ever seen something like that with the Uncanny X-Men on top of the fact that it was the first time that I was like holy crap characters can die and there's a there's actually a threat and there's actually danger in that storytelling and there's something about that that makes you care about everything so much more knowing that like 
they don't have to come out of this all right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it gets you. In, it really gets you invested in the stories and and the way that Claremont wove everything together, where even if they were on different continents, you still knew that they were a team, and you still knew that this narrative was moving in one direction. Even though at twelve, I don't know that I knew the word narrative. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I love it. X, uh, Uncanny X Men two thirty four will always be very special to me. They did a little statue of Wolverine, the brood thing going on. I had to get it because that's that's a key dork moment in my life. Nicole? Uh, so I said before, horror is my thing. Um, from, I don't know, as far back as I can remember. Uh, so my big thing from 1988, uh, it was a really big year for sequels. There wasn't that many, like, new, I mean, Child's Play came out in 88, but other than that, it was all sequels. So um, Friday the 13th, Part 7, came out in 88 um, it's it's maligned by a lot of people and it's mostly because of the situation with the MPAA I don't know if anybody is a, a horror nerd like me but for some reason uh, Friday the 13th part 7 the initial script and the initial cut was so brutal and they sent it to the MPAA and the MPAA said this is an X rating so they took it and they cut it and they sent it back and the MPAA said X so they took it and they recut it and they sent it back and they did that seven times appropriately seven times (laughs) one for every Friday the 13th Um, to the point where it was so watered down by the time it was released that um you know, a lot of people, this is not their favorite Friday the 13th. But for me, this is the first Kane Hodder Friday the 13th. Mm. Um, I love Kane Hodder. I, Kane Hodder could do anything, and I would watch it. And and have, honestly. Like, he's done some <laughs> terrible, terrible movies. Mm, mm, um, yeah. that, that Ed Gein one is just unwatchable. <laughs> um, but I love Kane Hodder. I think Kane Hodder is... The person that really gave a personality to Jason Voorhees, um, and in that movie, I mean, there's just, and it's hard to give a personality to a guy that doesn't talk, you know? I mean, he he's just sort of a lumbering thing, and up to that point, he had been portrayed as just a lumbering, unstoppable force, uh, he kills, but there was just something about the way that Kane Hodder portrayed him that made me fall in love with Jason Voorhees. Um, I, I mean, I have a Jason Voorhees tattoo, like, and it's very, like, seven. <laughs> um, so there's just his body language. To be able to portray emotion and feelings without language is, I mean, I think it's really cool. And everybody just looks at him, oh, he's just a stuntman. But his performance to me was so much more than that. So um, Friday the 13th Part 7 is, I always say it's my favorite Friday the 13th. Um, do I think it's the best one? It's not necessarily the best one. But to me, it's just like, I don't know. It's that moment that I fell in love with Jason Voorhees and was like, I have to consume this entire uh, library and like live it, love it, learn it. Um, and it's like such a weird movie because like initially that was actually supposed to be Freddy versus Jason. Um, I don't know Ooh. if anybody knows that. But 
the Freddy versus Jason thing has been around for a million years, and they've been trying to do it. Um, so they were going to do Freddy versus Jason, but like Paramount and New Line were just they couldn't come to an agreement. So they were just like, scrap that, forget it. Let's do Jason versus Carrie. But we won't call her Carrie because again, yeah, that would cost money. Exactly because we're, we've just argued over these rights. So um, they came up with you know Tina, um, Lar Park Lincoln, who was like twenty six playing a teenager. But um, it, you know it's pretty phenomenal. Like the whole concept is that she's this like damaged girl that accidentally killed her father because she is uh, like he was beating her mom and. So, like, stress brings out her psychic abilities, and she kills her father. And then she goes back ten years later uh, because her terrible shrink wants to exploit her and knows that stress brings out her telekinetic abilities. So he brings her back to the place where she murdered her father accidentally um, to try to get her telekinetic abilities to come out. And the shrink also, by the way, Bernie Lomax. Dr. Cruz? Is played by the same guy that played Bernie Lomax. Um, Weekend to Bernie's? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh uh, my God. Terry Lister. Exactly. Man, man yes. Man too. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I just think that they really tried to do, like, a much deeper story with yeah. Friday the 13th 7, and in some ways they succeeded, in some ways they failed, but... <laughs> Um, I love it. And I love the sleeping bag kill, which was supposed to be way more brutal than it was. Um, in the final cut, you know, Jason picks up the sleeping bag, hits it against a tree one time, and drops it to the ground. But They, they made up for it, though. Well, they made up for it in Jason X. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's phenomenal. Jason X, they were like, we are going to do... It, it was wild. Like, all bits are off, and we're going to do what we want to do, and we're going to make it this. So I, like, that's what I see when I watch Friday the 13th 7. Like, I see... The him just whamming it against the tree like seventeen times and stomping on it, but unfortunately, all we really see is, and most which of the is really all would, just cut away. Which is really all it would take. I mean, if you think about it, uh, yeah. I mean, how many times do you have to whack somebody against a tree in a sleeping bag? I just I mean, once, I've I never think. experimented. However, I feel like if Kane Hodder whacked me against a tree one or two times, I'd probably be like, uh, okay, I give. I give. honestly, if I just sort of fell against a tree too hard. <laughs> I don't think I'd do too well. I threw my back out putting pants on one day. Yeah, yeah. I don't it's really getting want to get old hit against a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, it's, it's, we don't have to go to summer camp anymore. I would love to go to summer camp. No. I don't know. No, but the cots. Yeah, my back. No. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. I thought it was great. Right. The theory of summer camp is wonderful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now I complain if I'm in like in a bad hotel. I'm just like, Ugh. Yeah. I actually went to technically summer camp with my uh, daughter who was then 13 to a like a Camp McDowell in Alabama it's like a three day thing and it was living hell <laughs> <laughs> it's just bugs and like yeah. dirt yeah. all oh. the kids got head loss <laughs> <laughs> so if it was one a good time. has it then it's just you're just done yeah. 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 Lice Camp that's a movie Lice Camp, Lice camp. <laughs> and that's a real horror <laughs> and we can't uh, I mean look uh, Friday the 13th franchise they can't figure out what to do with it so I say we just go with Lice Camp yeah, yeah. forget well, Jason I mean, it's terrifying mm-hmm. sure it's a, it's a parasite <laughs> technically so, but yeah, that that was my big thing, and I was not allowed to watch slashers when I was a kid, so I always had to sneak them. So slashers were the forbidden fruit for me. I'm totally on board with you though on part seven because it it does it does it. have a story uh, that that 
deviates a good bit from anything they've done before. And when I saw it when I was younger, before I really paid attention to, to actors and directors and all that kind of thing, like I knew there was something different about Jason. I didn't know what it was, but he just was more compelling in that. And he killed it in that. He, you know, obviously did all, all his own stunts because he's a stunt man. Um, you know, at one point, like he almost killed himself as usual. Um, you know, he was doing like a stairs dropout thing, and and they uh, way more of it dropped out than was supposed to. And he like almost smacked his head, and you know, and then he did like a fire gag where he was like on fire for like a, a minute or something, which whatever it was, it like <laughs> which if you set don't know is time. far too long to be <laughs> on fire. <laughs> and if you don't know about Kane Hodder. Um, you know, he he actually was severely burned in a stunt gone well. It wasn't even a stunt gone wrong. He was he was trying to be cool guy and like do a stunt, and burned himself very badly. So like to move forward from that and continue to do fire stunts, I think is probably a pretty big deal. Like I burnt my thumbs on a pop tart one time, no and more I'm pop done tarts. with fire. No, I'm more, done. no more warm pop tarts. Two thumbs, Just one pop tart, uh, done, done. Yeah, yeah. eat them cold. Terrifyingly dense. It's like they're filled with napalm. <laughs> full of napalm. Well, thank you, Nicole, <laughs> for your horrifying napalm story. I'll never even be able to look at a pop tart again. Now I'm not afraid of Jason anymore. What the real danger? Pop tarts. Yeah, you're right. And lice. Pop tarts and lice. Yeah, I'm gonna if, get a pop tart tattoo right here. Everybody, to go with all my monsters. If everybody in this room takes something away, I hope it's to stay away from pop tarts and lice. Yeah. <laughs> never share your hairbrush. Dana. Pop tarts. Um, I, I so hope you're you're doing the one you told me. I am actually. <laughs> Uh, and this is a, this is very fresh on my mind uh, because I so um, this this is I think you know we're we're kind of talking about things that are really close to us with this like I think that's kind of where we're starting and um, so while your genre may be horror uh, my genre is awful amazing and that is uh, movies that are so bad that you still want them in your life or soundtracks or whatever it is but I, I actually collect records for awful amazing soundtracks I. Um, I, and I started doing this with books, too. I realized on a recent trip, I started collecting terrible books. Um, but this <laughs> is... Uh, so I, I occasionally co-host on Tsunami Preflight, and when I do, I sort of use it as a chance to troll uh, the people that normally host it by uh, picking... There's, you're supposed to pick, like, your favorite movies, and so I'll pick, like, two movies that I actually care about and then one movie that's just awful. Um, and uh, recently, we did, we did a talking animal episode, and so... Uh, within Talking Animal Pillars, you have your, uh, you've got your puppets, right? Yeah, those, are, those are talking animals. Um, and, and, uh, and you may have, like, animated animals. Okay, those are talking animals. Uh, but you also have this fun little genre that is um, animals, actual animals being trained to talk. And so I selected for this, and this is also very, very important for the year 1988, Hot to Trot. Oh. <laughs> What I've always wanted to do, and that is just really look at the Rotten Tomatoes for it, because I think that that sort of gives you an idea. So keep in mind, like I love uh, Bobcat Goldthwait; he's one of my favorite directors. Yeah. Um, I think he was a really interesting stand-up and actor, and like I've, I've actually seen him do stand-up since. Um, he went he went to Bob Goldthwait for this movie, I think, to like break away from the Bobcat and just become a new man. He didn't um, go with Robert, though. He did not go with Robert, but. You know, it's hard to see, but there's like a horse with sunglasses. <laughs> and next to Bob Goldthwait. Um, also, the tomato meter, no shit, is 0%. <laughs> so that's pretty good. And then audience score is 40%, so 4 out of 10 people were like, all right. 
Uh, and then I like that there's a critic consensus. No consensus yet. I'm like, how is there no consensus? <laughs> <laughs> how is there no consensus if it has a 0% rating? Because let me tell you what, there are several reviews. Um, okay, I'm just also walking through movie info. I'm just reading straight from this page because I think it gives us everything we need to know. And also, you can just quote it yourself. Uh, so after his mother's death, uh-oh, uh, Fred P. Cheney, Bob Goldthwaite, uh, must share the family financial business with his scheming stepfather, Walter Sawyer, uh, one Dabney Coleman, who is disgusting in this movie, um, hmm. in this misfired comedy. <laughs> misfired. <laughs> work. Um, Fred also inherits Dawn, a talking horse who provides him with hot tips on the stock market. <laughs> Dawn's voice is provided by John Candy, and Virginia what? Madsen oh, plays wow. Fred's romantic interest, Allison Rowe. Mr. Ed and the Francis and Francis the Talking Mule must be rolling over in their graves over this uneven. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the idea that like we're already throwing you off balance, right? Like we're saying we're using words misfire, we're using words uneven, right? So like this is like we're already setting this up for success. Um, and the fact that this is like one of John Candy's like kind of last last movies is oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Raul Julia's like one of his last movies being Street Fighter is always like wow. All right, um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harp on these too much, but I think they're fun. Um, uh, Michael Wilmington from the Los Angeles Times says. Hot to Trot is a movie that makes ninnies whinny, audiences gag, and horses hide their heads. <laughs> um, you know, and then this one, I actually, I'm just going to read one more, you guys. Uh, Dave Keir from the Chicago Tribune. It's true that there has been a shocking dearth of talking horse pictures lately. But even so, Hot to Trot has few pleasures to offer. <laughs> like, I, just, I love the idea of somebody taking a terrible movie and being like, Listen, I review movies as a full-time job, and I'm going to tell you exactly how much to hate it. <laughs> like, that is a talent, right? Like, that's a talent, and that's something that, that a person is paid to do, and, uh, like, I, but I remember watching this many times, and I was, uh, so I was born in 81, this movie came out in 88, it probably went to VHS by 89, which means that I was eight, watching it over and over and over again, um, because I was eight, and because my dad had a VCR, and that's just what happened. Um, so I just can only imagine, like, what terrible things are in my brain, and, like, what comedy misfires I have as a performer. <laughs> From thinking that this was like textbook stuff. This was also, um, keep in mind, 88 was when um, it was the first police academy that did not have the old crew. Um, it was when Bobcat Goldthwait was like, you know what, we did Citizens on Patrol. I don't want to patrol anymore. I'm not coming to Miami. I'm going to Hot <laughs> So I feel like, yeah, there was something about this film in general that I'm like, you know what, I, I can share so many personal feelings, but I just want to share the memory of the fact that I'm sure this shaped me into being a terrible person. <laughs> can, can we speculate for just a minute on the meeting where executives oh decided? Could, what, like, was it, hey, hey, Ted. <laughs> Should we give that guy with the funny voice from Police okay. Academy a movie? Oh my god. Oh god. About okay. horses. Guys, Mr. Ed. Okay, we got Mr. Ed. Okay, what else do we got? Numbers. We have numbers. Okay. Stock market. What else do we have? Dabney Coleman. Someone was just like, they were just taking like a refrigerator magnet poetry and they were making a film meant for eight year olds to torture their fathers with. Like it was divorce dad torture the film. And I was there for it apparently. So that's what happened. It served you well. 
I like the idea that they were just sitting there like, we could spend an hour figuring it out and really flushing it out, or we could spend five minutes and use the rest of the time for blow. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? It really was one of those blow crafts today kind of moments. Yeah. Like, let's, oh, I gotta do it, gotta do it, gotta, okay, here's your thing. All right, and now the rest is for blow. (laughs) Absolutely. So, uh, so really, uh, hot to trot. We just want to say uh, thank you, Cocaine, for yeah. giving us out of trial. Which I think ran through a lot of movies in 19. Yeah, wow. we've been we've yeah, been reviewing a lot of 80s movies lately, and I think there's a running theme there. Like brought to you by Cocaine. Yeah, yeah. John Carr. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, uh, so we've got a theme here with okay. like because you love horror yeah. and you love oh. bad movies. <laughs> um, uh, for me, I love boobs. Uh, so, oh, 1988 was a very special place in my heart. Um, so, I have to give you a little backstory. Um, I was, Please do. I was homeschooled by traveling Christian clowns. And so, as a result uh, of that, yeah, take a second, ju- digest that sentence. Yes. Um, so, as a result, uh, I lived in a very sheltered life. So, my parents didn't like any sort of like, like any like cursing or anything like negative so like it was funny because I looked this up and uh, this was also the uh, year that uh, Coming to America came out and that should have been a very impactful movie on my life I was not allowed to watch that and did not see it until I was in my adult my adulthood basically but there was one movie that slipped through the cracks and changed my life forever and that is Who Framed Roger Rabbit My parents did not do their research. <laughs> All they saw was cartoons, and they're like, "You can see that," uh, and that is where I discovered Jessica Rabbit. And uh, and you asked us like we should bring something from that time period, so I brought my boner with me because, <laughs> because you still is, have it. Because I still have it. Thirty years later, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how great that movie was. <laughs> Uh, but no, like it, was, it was it was that moment because like because we had been so sheltered, it was like the first time I'd seen any sort of sexuality on screen, yeah, yeah. and it blew my mind. Um, to this day, anime works really well for me. <laughs> but what about Patty Cake? Uh, it, it all works so well. There's some there's some deep seated issues that we could. That's a whole other panel. Uh, but it was. I'm so glad you didn't say hot to try. Right, yes. <laughs> I have that would be a whole other thing. <laughs> Guys, talk- rows of party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking uh, horses work for me. Uh, but. Guys, I have to go. But like it was, it was. Aside from that, it was also like one of those movies. And you think about that as a because I was nine years old in 1988. And so, like, looking back, there are a lot of movies and TV shows that I, I was super into. Looking back, I'm like, you're an idiot. Why did you like that? But um, for me, uh, that movie also was kind of that idea of you have movies, you have actors, you have script, you have camera. I understood that as a nine-year-old. But then to have, like, uh, cartoon characters interacting with human characters, it suddenly was the first time that I understood breaking rules and breaking the construct of what we know as how things are supposed to work was like, oh, you can break rules. And if you do that, you can make something truly interesting. And I think that's also one of the things I took away from that is that idea of like, know your craft, know what you're doing, and then break those rules and just see what happens. And you can make something that's kind of cool and get a phoner. So. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
So do you, like, I do have a question about, so, like, the, the one of the first scenes we see her, she's got that beautiful sparkly dress, and it's in the, it's in the speakeasy, and she's singing a song, um, and, and what, so do you imagine yourself as Jessica Rabbit, or as Bob Hoskins <laughs> in that moment? Like, who do you, whose shoes are you in? I, there's a part of me that always, deep down, just wants to be Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Just, yeah, just a sleuth in a jazz club yeah. that just makes weird eye contact with a cartoon. And There's a lot of audible gulps in that scene, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like that, like, <laughs> like, it's just automatic gulp. Yeah. How weird is it, because we're right around the same age, mm-hmm. that at that time in our lives, we thought Bob Hoskins, mm-hmm. looking like Bob Hoskins <laughs> was so cool. Wasn't he the coolest guy in the world that, that year? That, that moment as a kid, like, man, wait till I lose my hair. Then like, <laughs> if I can, you know, yes. pattern bar this guy. That's going to be it. If I can lose my hair and grow a fur sweater, I am going to be such a hit with the ridiculously proportioned ladies. There was there was a period of time though that there was like weirdly confusion, confusing sexual signals, like Howard the Duck. Came out yep. around that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That should be not shown to any child. <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody you know, at all, really. Yeah, you've seen Leah yeah. Thompson and Howard. Yeah, that's because you have cartoon boobies, then you also have furry boobies. Like, you yeah. have, like. Well, feathery. You feathery. Yeah. feathery. But it's still, like, oh, it's like the, furry, the furry fandom. Like, it's right. still, like. This is not a human boob. No. This is a mammary that doesn't belong on something that has a mammary. Which is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all I know about are the corkscrew. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, did different. I bring it? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I bring it there? I'm sorry. That's, that's just biology. Yeah, that's, just, <laughs> that's, that's just nature. You that's can just Google nature, it. everybody. Don't Google it. You also had big that year. We did. Oh, we did have oh, it. Yeah. Yes, and that's a yeah. weird that, pedophilia thing. Yeah. 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 So all questions. right, all right. Let's get back. Uh, let's get back to. Let's take this off track thing back off. Wholesome. Track. <laughs> let's get back to some wholesome yeah. entertainment. <laughs> Joe Crow, I sure hope you got some wholesome entertainment lined up. I was actually going to talk about big. <laughs> Well, now you can't. (laughs) Wonderful segue, sir. Thank you. Uh, Well, okay. I'll talk about... um, Okay. Here's the thing that I loved in 1988, and it came on TV, weirdly, the night of my high school graduation, the actual night. The Incredible Hulk Returns. Yes. Where he teamed up with Thor, which was the first time that any Marvel heroes had, now of course it's old hat, everybody's like, oh boy another Marvel thing, where they like it they meet each other this this uh, this was the first time. I think I think that's actually the trailer for the next Infinity War. <laughs> I think that's literally what it is. This guy like, oh, this oh God! Now Here there's go twenty again. of them. Jeez! Can we throw a talking horse in there? <laughs> I can watch that. Yeah. But I VCR'd that because it was equally as important as my high school graduation. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Understandably, but. Yeah. And, and I have fonder memories of The Incredible Hulk Returns yeah. uh, because people liked each other in that <laughs> thing. And no one, no, no one came away from Incredible Hulk Returns confused about their future. <laughs> but uh, there's a great scene in uh, close to the end of the movie where... 
uh, Jack McGee from the old Hulk TV show shows up and he's chasing the Hulk, chasing the Hulk, you know, the whole TV series. And he gets to uh, um, um, an apartment or a house and Thor opens up the door and, and says, Ye shall not find any Hulks here. And Jack McGee goes, okay. And leave. End of story. You never see Jack McGee again. Well, I mean, at that point, I think Jack McGee has to take a long look at himself and realize that out of all the people on the planet, he is the worst Hulk chaser ever. Because he's been doing it for, for what, 12 years at that point? At that point. So never found a Hulk. Mm-mm. Just stop. It's like that Bigfoot show. Just, just come on. <laughs> it's obviously not because of lack of dedication. I mean, thank you. He asked, and the guy said he's not there. You know what? <laughs> what else is he supposed You're to do? You're right. I was wrong. Never give up on your dreams. <laughs> you, each and every one of you, you chase your own personal Hulk to the ends of the earth. He's like, excuse me, is he here? Roger no. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. I don't know what just happened, Nicole. What have you? What else have you got? Is it? Is it a horror movie? Um, shockingly, I'll talk about another horror movie because that's really the only what? thing I know about. <laughs> I'm kind of a one-trick pony. Actually, I'm a two-trick pony because I know horror movies and really bad movies, and frequently the horror movies and the really bad <laughs> yeah. movies converge. But I, I agree with this fact. Uh, yes, I yes. I have an entire podcast about it. But um, so. I'm actually going to talk about a good, what I think is a really good movie. Um, so, like, Friday the 13th, 7 is questionable. Hellraiser 2 Ooh. came out in 1988. Um, th- I mean, Hellraiser 2 was phenomenal. Like, I love Hellraiser, obviously, but Hellraiser 2 took it to a whole nother level. You know, like, Hellraiser, you know, we got Pinhead and Chatterer and, like, we got... But, like, in two, she goes in to their world where they can just do whatever they want to. And, like, it, that movie blew my mind. And I've always kind of seen, like, Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 as, like, one thing. You know, like, I really think it should be viewed as, you know, a four-hour, three-hour, whatever film. I- I feel like if that had been an accurate depiction of hell, they would have been watching Hot to Trot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hell is actually just Bobcat Goldthwait. Hell um, is Bobcat Having a real weird relationship. But, um, I mean, the, uh, the effects in that movie, the makeup, like, I mean, that, that movie is just, like, life-changing. You know, when they show uh, Kirstie's dad... And he's completely skinned, and he's written "I'm in hell, help me" on the wall like that. It was it's just amazing. And um, the guy, the the guy from the Insane Asylum that's in the straitjacket, the guy from like the bowels of the Insane Asylum. Um, so he's in a straitjacket because he's just like feeling bugs crawling all over him. And um, Dr. Chenard takes him back to his house and puts him on the Julia mattress. And gives them a straight razor. And, like, to this day, I have trouble watching that scene. And I, like, watch horror movies almost professionally. Like, I... There's very little that I won't watch. And that scene, I'm still, like... Eh, like, I want to watch it, but I can't watch it because it's so just intense and disturbing to me. I mean, he's just... And you feel so bad for this guy because he's, like, an intensely troubled person. And this maniac just hands him a straight razor and says, go to town. Um, 
And then, you know, when we get skinless Julia, and we're just, uh, To this day, I still have trouble laying down on blood-soaked mattresses. Yeah. <laughs> really, I forgot a thing. I'm, I'm working on it, but, yeah. um, you know, maybe with a little more therapy, I'll be able to lie on a dirty mattress. We'll get there. Lying about it. We'll all, we'll all go together. But, um, yeah, <laughs> Hellraiser 2, I think, is one of the best visual horror movies that has ever been made. It, to this day, it, it's, it's beautiful. You know, when Dr. Chenard comes out with this whole thing on his head. And well, it's so shocking and weird just yeah. seeing it's, that everything thing is so carrying the body around. Yeah, yeah from, from start to finish, you know, like he's, he's this horrible, maniacal manipulator. Like, and then like to see, I, it's like you don't know if he got his just desserts. Or not? You well, know? he he I did. Mean, he does he, in the end, but he, like. But the know. thing is, he he, you know, they they get him, and it seems like okay, this villain has met his end. But then he comes back, and he, he's just he. It's even more than he ever dreamed of. Like yeah. it's this bizarre, like he's worse now. He gets his comeuppance, but it actually worked to his benefit. It makes him more of a supervillain, right? You know, and <laughs> and more terrifying. Um, yeah. So. Or two is like just again life changing, um, hmm. yeah. And so now I collect every Hellraiser figure that has ever existed, or at least I attempt to. But uh, yeah, Hellraiser two. What a charming mantle you must have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. My home decor is unusual. I can't even imagine. Well, I can't. I've been there. Yeah, but, you can. but for the purpose for the purposes of this panel, where she's just a guest that I have up here talking, it's I, charming yeah, it's and quaint. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> Joe and John, you guys have any uh, Hellraiser two memories? Is this is this even up your alley? I'm way? yeah, I'm not a horror guy. Not at all. No, so I've not seen it. I saw it years later and was terrified by it. <laughs> it yeah. was. Um, I, I actually saw Hellraiser one and two back to back, which I think is the way it should be. Seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, and at the end of it, I thought I need to go buy a puppy. Or yeah. something. <laughs> you need to go take a walk in a park mm-hmm. in the sunlight and just have a hug. I mean, it. But it's an impactful movie, and that's what it's supposed to be. Like it's yeah. supposed to be Succeeds. unsettling. You know, you're supposed to watch this movie like if you watched it and you were just like, oh well, I guess I'll have a sandwich now. I mean, like. <laughs> Then it hasn't done anything for you, you know. You're supposed to cringe and you're supposed to kind of feel your skin crawl because it's a, it's a horror movie. It's supposed to be horrifying. It's not horror is not all just jump scares, you know. It's supposed to be something that gets under your skin, you know. And that movie succeeds with nails, <sighs> yeah, yeah. No, with anything, I mean, chains uh, and nails yeah. and razor blades. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, Dana. I know you've seen a horror movie or two, I'm, and I know you're. Yeah, a I'm a particularly big fan of body horror. God, I hate body horror so much. <laughs> um, so I am. Uh, yeah, I, I I consider myself horror adjacent. Is always what I say. It's like I have lots of friends that are in the horror community, um, and I have been sat down to watch very specific curated horror films that I uh, I have been told I can tolerate. Um, hmm. And like I'd say that like my ability has sprawled out from there. But no, I, I absolutely detest body horror, and I think. Uh, like you, because you gave me a pin. <laughs> it was like the grossest. I couldn't look at it. it was like I a, know. 
I can't. I don't even know if I can talk and about I it. I know that doesn't really help audio I didn't, for you. But I didn't like, know at that no. point of your aversion. No. I just thought it was I hilarious. It. I can't do it. And actually, the most well, the, like so, uh, Dave gave me like a human centipede theme. Oh, oh, and I couldn't. I couldn't even look at it's it. It's Hello Kitty, it. wasn't it? Hello Kitty. Yeah, and I was like trying to like I, I had it that night. And I was showing it to a friend, and I was having to do this. Like, I can't look at it. Um, and like, and since then, I've been shown the autopsy of Jane Doe, and like. Because uh, that was like Chris sat me down. He's like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna watch this. It's gonna be great. You're gonna love it. You're, there's a twist. You're gonna love the twist." And so I'm like watching, and I'm like, "There's an autopsy in this movie." <laughs> Autopsy is in the title. <laughs> I can't do this because, like, it started, and I was just like, I, "There, is, there are things happening to a body, and that is, to me, the body and horror together." Um, so, yeah, but I do, I do have some some other things to talk about that have nothing to do with body horror, so I don't barf right now. Please do cleanse cleanse yes. our palate. Okay, great. Okay. Why don't I cleanse your palate with a little thing called? Um, I was I was looking at TV shows because that was something that. Um, like, I definitely had the electronic babysitter um, as, as a seven, six, seven-year-old in 1988. And, uh, and that's what I remember most was just some of those, those shows that I was just, like, plugging into my brain and, and taking in with my eyes and how so many of those were actually adaptations of other things. So I was looking at, um, I was looking at the rundown. And so here's some stuff that premiered in the year 1988 for you. Alf Tales. <laughs> <laughs> Alf had an animated version called Alf Tails. Like, so successful was Alf that they were like, hmm, what if we drew him? (laughs) I think we could draw him and then also tell stories with it. So it was like, and now that I'm even looking at this, like, it's Alf Tales, so close to DuckTales, because they would do stuff like retell Rapunzel, which is what DuckTales would do, is they would take, like, a classical piece of literature and then retell it in a way that, like, that made you want to be interested. So Alf (laughs) <laughs> also something that, that existed around that time. Um, also, I mentioned Police Academy earlier. There was a Police Academy cartoon. cartoon. Do you guys remember oh, that? Yes. There was, was a, on my list. Big yes. run. Is yeah. it on your list? Oh, man. Well, I don't want to, like, step on your no, toes. No, no, but no, there was a run yeah. of cartoons yeah. aimed at children based on rated R movie yes. franchises. Yes. 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 It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, how do we make this friendly so that then kids will be like, oh, Police Academy is safe. So now I can watch it. No, you can't. No, you should not be watching it. Like, what, what Commandant Lassard is not, like, a fun thing. <laughs> like, you're not, not child friendly. understand this this humor or where this is going. But um, this is, there was also, like, sort of some rip-off stuff happening around the same time. Like, uh, there's a show called Cops that was C period, O period, P period, S period. No. Cops, yes. It was a rip-off, slight rip-off. But um, I, oh, I included uh, Garfield and Friends within this. Oh yeah. Uh, I watched that, and that was another like. I mean, it was it was more. You know, let's see what's happening with uh, Lyman. <laughs> if you know who that is, then wow, you read Garfield too. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that's a show that I reference a lot because that's how I refer to my relationship style. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it's it's a uh, that one. There's like a really unforgettable like side quest moment called Acme Acres with like a yes. duck and an inner tube, yep. yeah. and, uh, yes. and a cocky rooster and a pig that everyone's supposed to like. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what did you say? Rory the rooster. It's, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I erased it. 
Yeah. It's coming back. I'm going to erase it again. <laughs> and Alf had two animated spin-offs. He had the animated series, which I will say was brilliant because I loved the Alf show, yep. but I didn't care about his human family at all. No. I wanted Willie. to see... Yeah, I wanted to see where he came from, and that's what the animated show did. We went to Melmac. Yeah, I was like, Melmac, get your ass to way better. Get your ass to Melmac. Get your ass to Melmac. Where I'll go, Yo, Willie. Can yeah. I get me a Diet Coke? Yeah. <laughs> I think I There's a couple TV shows I'm just going to say the words of, and just if you like it, say woo. Uh, Denver, The Last Dinosaur. Woo! Uh, MST3K. Woo! Uh, my cats are named after characters from MST3K. Because of that. Um, but then this one I wrote down. This is controversial. Roseanne. Yeah. Oh, 1988. Controversial. Yeah. Controversial. I'm going to leave it there. Loved yeah. it at the time. Loved it. Loved it. At the Loved time. Loved it at the time. Lynch for Lunchbox. Loved it at the time. <laughs> I, could, I could go for a loose meat sandwich right now. <laughs> <laughs> Roseanne, to me, was seeing my family on television. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Totally. Loved it. Totally. And kind of made me feel like my weird family was like normalish. Yeah. 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 Like it was at the time. At the, at the time. At the time. At the time. <laughs> at the time. Loved it. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly, Roseanne was a show. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so that's my television corner. <laughs> that was fantastic. Uh, come back next year for a full panel of Dana's TV Corner. Oh my God. <laughs> I will say Garfield and Friends on Hulu, and I sat down because I used to love that show, sat down to watch it five minutes into it, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't hold up. So, <laughs> it's terrible. I'll make a note. Does it hold up, says John Carter. Yeah, make a note on that. Make a note on that. Uh, speaking of cartoons... Now, now this one, I, I was tempted to talk about RoboCop, but technically that was not 1988. But I will talk about Dino Riders. Do you guys remember? Uh, I was, I was, tw- <laughs> stop, stop. I'm already not, excited. We're not talking about dinosaur cloaca. Um, so Dino Riders. No, I'm just uh, excited. I'm like, oh, what could happen? It's, it's Velociraptors with saddles. Like, I don't know. And lasers. Oh, my God. And lasers. Uh, I'm 12 years old, and I'm edging out of toys at the time. Obviously, I came back later on. But Dino Riders was one of the last toy lines that I was like, what is this amazing thing in Lionel Playworld that I have to have? Why did they not do this already? Well, yeah, exactly. I need this to turn my frown upside down. That's exactly right. Uh, And since then, it it has been sort of imitated in many different ways. But there was a cartoon, there was a toy line, there was a comic book. But it was created by Jerry and Carla Conway. and who you guys may know from working on all kinds of other stuff and from the Joy of Joe book, which we'll be doing a panel on Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Uh, But it's aliens come to Earth, and they decide the only way their species can survive is to strap rockets and lasers to dinosaurs. (laughs) Valid point. What? I mean, mean, obviously. accurate. And you have the the nice, appealing-looking human beings, and then all of the villains are like humanoid bodies with ant and hammerhead shark heads, (laughs) among other things. But the designs are fantastic, and it's perfect for the era, because we're coming right out of He-Man going away, and so we have a new line that's weird monster creations with, you know, blending technology with 
not magic, but dinosaurs. <laughs> and the toys themselves were these very realistic-looking dinosaurs that you strapped rockets and lasers and stuff to. Uh, but it was from Tyco, who was not a giant at the time. Like, you probably know them for model trains and wind-up cars or whatever. But this was a big deal for them to have a licensed line that was hidden in stores, and, and it went on for several waves. Uh, the cartoon was part of the Marvel Action Hour, which came on Sunday morning. What? Marvel, <laughs> Marvel Action me. Hour. Wow. A- alongside Ow. RoboCop, the animated series. <laughs> Just chew on that for a minute. I'm chewing and it tastes good. <laughs> yeah, right? It was yeah. a Marvel Another Action one of those Hour with no actual Marvel like, heroes. You should watch this movie. Uh, uh, well, yeah. they would do yeah, reruns of Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. But the original content had Marvel tie-in comics. But we're not technically like, you know, what you would think of as a Marvel action. But that's fine, because it came on Sunday morning and I didn't get to watch it anyway, because, like our friend John probably, I was in church. You're in church. And the thing is, I'm laughing because, like, it sounds ridiculous, but nine-year-old John remembered that and was like... This is art. Why aren't all movies and television just dinosaurs with lasers? With yeah. lasers. This is a brilliant. This belongs in the Met. Yeah. This is what the Met should be. So dino riders are everything, and uh, that that's basically it. All right. We got time for one more. Yes, it's John's. Oh. It's John's turn. Oh, I think, wow. John, you got to bring it home. Okay, well, well no pressure. Um, no, not at all. You're the main event, but I'm it's gonna, okay. I'm going to go a completely different direction and say so one of the, I, I I never consider myself like a writer or, or like a, an actor or anything. The thing I like to describe myself as a storyteller. And the reason I do that is because uh, that can take on a million different forms where I've written plays and articles, but I've also been a professional wrestler, wrestling as Timmy McClendon in yes. PCW. Um, and uh, they all fall under the category of storytelling. So um, so that's why one of the things that like really stuck out to me was that 1988 was one of the was the year for one of the greatest sports stories that ever came out. And I've actually brought my uh, Kurt Gibson uh, baseball card with me from 1988. Um, because it was, I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and I grew up in a household full of guys, but we were all artists, so everybody was like, the sports are dumb. Uh, and so, and that's kind of how we grew up in our household, we're like, sports are dumb. Um, but there was, uh, Los Angeles got into the World Series for the first time in over a decade. And, um, and there was one guy named Kurt Gibson, and it was the first game of the World Series, and at the point, he had hurt both of his legs. So he couldn't really play, it was the uh, bottom of the ninth inning, and they needed. They had a tying and a winning run on first, and his run would be the tying one. And for whatever weird, insane reason, they put him out to bat. And it was this moment where if he got a, a base hit, he couldn't run fast enough because both his legs were hurt. He literally, the only thing he could do was hit a home run. That's the only scenario in which this game would win. And for whatever reason, the coach decided we're going to put him in. And I remember being a little kid at that point and going like, I don't, this can't happen. Why is this happening? And um, I watched, and I watched him take uh, a couple of strikes and then hit a home run. And everyone in my house and everyone in that stadium and every one of my friends that I ever knew in all my social circles lost their mind all collectively at the same time as we watched this impossible thing and the winning of the first game of the World Series by this guy who was injured 
because for whatever reason somebody believed in him and for me that was one of those moments where it's like now it makes sense it's the stories it's those ideas those those impossible things where we don't control the outcome so it's probably not going to work out but those few moments those few moments in time where everything shouldn't work out and it just does because sometimes real life is better oh yeah that's my night oh, that's awesome Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming and listening to us talk about 1988. Dana, where can we find you online? What are you up to? Uh, you can find me at, at Dana Swan Swan on the Twits and the Instas. I'm doing lots of Instagram stories, so say hi. Battle Cougar, where are you online? Uh, well, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Battle Cougar. Um, and you can find my podcast, Caught Dead Watching. Anyway. Joe Crow? Um, if you make it through the weekend, where can we find you online? I'm also on Twitter at Battle Cougar. <laughs> we, we twit together. Yeah, yeah. it's a and, 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 and shouldn't Battle Cougar be a dino rider? Why is that mm. not? You should have come around in the Ice Age series. Yeah. yeah. But um, I um, am here all weekend, and we're also talking about 1988 again on a Who Framed Roger Rabbit panel. Tomorrow. Is John on that? Because I want to hear his opinion again. <laughs> <laughs> he, he now is. Yeah, he's a late ad. Late ad. Making yeah. magic happen. And we're also doing a They Live panel later uh, on this week. Oh, I have. Oh, wait, no, that's a bad guy. There it is. <laughs> Yay. Um, um, no, go ahead. That was it. Okay. Uh, uh, You'll find me at Dad's Garage, but I'm going to. Because I'm also the marketing director of Dad's. And uh, push our newest show, which is Lawrenceburg, which is Star Wars meets the Dukes of Hazard. Oh my God! It's two of my favorite yeah, things. Exactly. Oh my God. So that opens on. If you guys are a local uh, uh, Atlanta person, that opens on September seventh. And I have a couple of free tickets for if you like want to go see it. It's going to be super cool. You should check it out. And uh, I'm at Dad's Garage. Come yeah, there. Yeah, it's I'll Star be there. Wars inspired. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you like Star Wars. If you like Star Wars. Have you seen Star Wars? Yeah. You can see it. Yeah. Has from anybody? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. From the Dukes. <laughs> You can see it from. I can hard. I can hardly wait for the space hospital inspired <laughs> play. Yeah. Just, yes. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm Dave West. You can find me as Phantom Turbomerker on Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> and uh, at NeedlessThingsPodcast.com, where this will be posted in a couple of weeks. So thank you guys for coming out. Have a great Dragon Con. Go in the app and uh, give us five stars, five stars. if you liked it. Uh, and if you didn't, it, don't, go don't go in the app. Just forget the app. Yeah, the app's not real. Yeah, Dave, I have a new handle for you. Because you got to shorten it. You ready? What, what right. Phantom Trubs. Phantom Trubs. P Trubs? Just Phantom Trubs. Phantom Trubs. But uh, Troublemaker is four syllables. It's too much. Nobody can Phantom keep track of that. That's solid. That's solid. I'm annoyed with myself. Because I didn't get a picture of all of us after the panel was over. Actually, I didn't. I didn't do that much this year at Dragon Con. I'm usually really good about getting that visual uh, souvenir of look what we did together. But this year, I, well, you know, I think this year most of the panels had people. Even after Flair and Sting, which uh, of course I, I got pictures with those guys. Uh, but I think we had more people come up wanting to chit-chat after the panels, and I think that combined with I had a couple that I had to get out of the room really quick and get to another panel. 
I, I was off my game. I was off my post-panel photo game in 2018. And I'm mad about it because I, I would very much like, to, especially the 1988 panel, uh, I really wish we had gotten a picture. Well, in the video game panel, I didn't get one there either. But I think both of those I had to run out of the room for one reason or another. Uh, I'll do better in 2019. Which, by the way, uh, I my room is booked. Just last night, I put in for my vacation, so I am off. Uh, I have not yet been approved as a uh, personality or whatever by DragonCon, but that usually happens in like December anyway, so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, but one way or another, I will be at DragonCon. Uh, the only thing left to find out is whether I will be actually putting on panels and game shows or just there as a person. Because, as I've said in the past, if I have to pay to go, uh, I'm not working. I'll just go and make trouble for other people. And speaking of making trouble, it sounds like a horse just fell down upstairs. So, uh, I'm out. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.